Still got questions, he's got answers Even though he may not understand, he'll talk anyway Still got problems, he won't solve them But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face Science, faith, and life Welcome. You are listening to Ask Science Mike, a weekly podcast where we believe that every sincere question deserves an honest and non judgmental response. I'm your host, Mike McCarg, the Science Mike that you heard mentioned in the title. And uh, I'm just so happy that you've decided to join me this week where we're doing something a little different. We've been doing a series where we talk to people whose work has influenced my life and work over the last few years. And that's all moving towards a big event in my life uh, and hopefully a small event in yours. That's April 28th when my book, You're a Miracle and a Pain in the Ass, comes out. And uh, the title is Cheeky, yes, and uh, and frankly, very true to what the book is about. Uh, I wrote a book about growth and transformation and why sometimes it's so hard to live with and understand ourselves. Um, And so when you and I uh, go through the day, sometimes we're confused by what we do and what we feel and what we think, and this is a book about understanding that. And on that process, we are introducing you to an amazing lineup of researchers and authors and communicators and educators, all of whom played a major role in my life and therefore played a major role in this next book. And uh, today's conversation is very, very special to me. Uh, We are talking uh, with Ron Frederick, a Dr. Ron Frederick, actually, uh, who wrote a book called uh, Living Like You Mean It and another book called Loving Like You Mean It. And he specializes in something called emotional mindfulness. And here's everything you need to know about Ron. Uh, He's the co-founder of the Center for Courageous Living, in Beverly Hills, California, and is a senior faculty member member of the Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy Institute. For over 20 years, Ron has provided emotion-centered experiential therapy to individuals and couples and actively trains other psychotherapists. Ron is the author of the best-selling book, Living Like You Mean It, and a recipient of the American Psychological Association's Malin Smith Scholarship Award for his research on the fear of intimacy. He lectures and teaches workshops around the world. And as you will hear in this conversation that Ron and I have together, he has also been the therapist who's been working on me dealing with my experience with trauma and my growth and learning to accept and understand my own feelings. So it is my sincere pleasure to let you in on a conversation uh, that was so heartwarming for me, uh, being able to reconnect with Ron uh, after we spent many, many, many months together uh, working through some of the greatest challenges in my life. So here's my conversation with Dr. Ron Frederick. Well, you all know that I get really excited in the interviews I do, and today is so special to me because I am talking with Dr. Ron Frederick, who is the author of a book called Living Like You Mean It and another book called Loving Like You Mean It, and uh, is a really special person in my life because you've been hearing me talk about my process in therapy and in dealing with trauma for the last, uh, I don't know, year on the podcast, year and change. And that's also a major topic of conversation uh, in my next book that comes out in April. So we're doing a series right now, uh, if you are just tuning in, uh, where we're kind of connecting you all with the people behind this journey of growth that I've been on, taking you right to the source. And because of that, it is my deep honor to welcome to Ask Science Mike today, Ron Frederick. Mm, it's so nice. Well, nice. I have to pause for a second. I am so moved to be asked to do this. Mm. Yeah, I feel really touched in the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, to be here with you and to feel your gratitude and recognition. Mm. 
It's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> feels really, really special and really important. It feels special and important to me too. Um, you know, I, I would say that the listeners of this program, they're invariably kind and thoughtful people. And they are all on their own journeys of growth and transformation. Mm. And I'd say the, the average amount of therapeutic experience is maybe higher than the average person you might encounter on the street. And um, I think there'd be a lot of people listening who, like me, thought that they're already experts in being on the client side of a therapeutic relationship in talking therapy, where the, the primary goal is to discuss events that have happened, to arrive at insights, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then, you know, through some almost entirely verbal process, uh, arrive at a greater pace of healing. And, and, and we know by outcomes, in many cases, that is an effective form of therapy. But what I was struck with in our time together is when I came into a therapy session doing what I'm so good at, which is telling stories, mm -hmm. and I would feel like I was just getting into like what was going to be a great three-act play for you uh, to hear, you would stop me and, it, and ask me what I felt mm -hmm. and what was happening in my body. And at first, that was so confusing to me. And so I wonder if we could begin our time together with you kind of talking about the approach to growth and the approach to emotional regulation mm -hmm. that is behind uh, your books and your practice and what makes it different from the therapy that people might be used to. Mm -hmm. Well, listening to you talk, um, I mean, I have a very, very personal reaction, mm. which I think is probably, and hearing what you just said about your listeners and your audience, uh, it feels very familiar and feels like good company. Mm. Um, because my, my doing this work really comes out of my own process. Mm. And... I talk about this a little in, I think, probably both of the books. Um, but I went to therapy for the first time when I was uh, in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really, really hard time for me. And um, I saw a therapist, really um, very kind, very smart, older man, wise. Um, and the therapy, you know, was very helpful in the ways in which you were just referencing. So in, I mean, I really had never really thought about mm -hmm. how my experience in my family had really impacted me. Um, and uh, so it, it helped to open my eyes to see that there were dynamics in my family um, uh, that had impacted me and were, uh, you know, part of the reason why I was struggling. So I was struggling emotionally, um, uh, struggling with anxiety, struggling in relationship, and mm. and uh, my own um, sense of self and self-esteem and confidence. And um, you know, I did seven years, almost seven years of that therapy and gained a lot of insight, but I still was really struggling. Mm. And I, so, and there was a whole process of change that was going on for me, because I went from working in musical theater to deciding that I wanted to become a psychologist. That's a very, very short <laughs> version of that story. <laughs> oh, wow, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> and um, so when I, uh, entered graduate school, I really was on a mission in a way to figure out, you know, what the missing piece was. And I wondered, you know, is it something about me? Is it something that I'm not getting? You know, mm -hmm. there was an aspect of, well, there was wonderment about it and fear, you know, that it was 
I was, wasn't going to be able to crack this nut or figure it out. Um, hmm. And but but also I had a deeply held belief, though maybe not conscious at the time, that psychotherapy could be transformative. Hmm. So it's through that that I got interested in short-term dynamic psychotherapy. So this was um, Mike Like in 1991 when I went into graduate school. Hmm. And I was on the East Coast, so living in New York, um, or being in that era, and it's a very uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy has a real stronghold. And um, in essence, it's about analyzing our, you know, understanding things in a way from a, in a, a top-down approach, mm-hmm. which is making sense of things. And the short-term psychotherapies were really focusing on affect, emotion, and helping people um, break through whatever barriers there were to emotional experiencing. And that healing came from um, opening up to our emotional experience, and in particular, feelings that were unresolved and were not, mm-hmm. or were conflictual or were unprocessed. Mm-hmm. So I got interested in that, and I went on internship at Beth Israel Medical Center in New York, and I was doing a rotation in these kinds of therapies, and uh, we were encouraged to go to this workshop at City University in New York, and it was a group of people, a group of therapists, who had studied with um, Davin Liu, who had uh, uh, created this intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy um, uh, a long time ago. It was, at the time, a much more confrontational approach. And these people had studied with him, but they had um, moved away and were um, exploring uh, a similar, um, not a similar, they were exploring uh, empathic and relational ways to be able to help people uh, feel safe enough so that they could let go of their defenses Mm -hmm. and open up to a deeper emotional experience. And, uh, you know, the principle was that it's a bottom-up process rather than top-down. So, like, get out of the story, get out of the details, get out of our defenses, and get present with what's really happening inside. So it's there that I was introduced to and saw Diana Fosha's work. And Diana Fosha developed um, what would then, would later become accelerated experiential dynamic psychotherapy, which is the therapy that I practice and I te- and now teach. And that therapy um, is an attachment-based, emotion-focused, neurobiology-informed uh, model of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And it's very much uh, about relationally um, working with and helping people um, uh, together, you know, undo the aloneness that makes things so scary and to uh, relationally um, provide the support and the safety and the understanding and the empathy to be able to open up because that's mm-hmm. ultimately what we need. We develop defenses mm-hmm. uh, early on in life to maintain our connections because we learn in our families that it's not okay to feel this or to show these particular feelings. We learn how to connect in ways that oftentimes we leave parts of ourselves behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all we could do, really, to survive. But ultimately, as we grow older, we see that it's impacting us and that it's um, thwarting our capacity to really flourish, to really be intimate in our relationships, to really arrive on the scene wholeheartedly. So the example that you share with your listeners about me stopping you and stopping the story and really focusing in on um, what's happening inside of you is all guided by that, Mm -hmm. which is that all all of it's inside and we really want to change things on the level of the nervous system. Mm -hmm. We can't do that top down. We have to do it by leaning into our experience and... um, dealing with the anxiety and the fear, and it's all old anxiety Mm -hmm. and all old fear that's telling us that it's dangerous to be present. 
But the more that we do that and can open up and move through these things, we come to see that I actually know it's better for me to allow for my feelings. Mm. It's better for me to lean forward and be vulnerable and find other ways of being in relationship with you know, loved ones, with myself and with my loved ones. Mm. So, um, you know, that, and so I learned actually in, within this story, I um, ended up in my 30s uh, having the bottom kind of fallout myself. Mm. So 20s, I first went to therapy. And then 30s, I get 10 years later, mm -hmm. I'm leaving graduate school and the bottom falls out. And I go into a therapy that's the kind of therapy that I was just describing mm -hmm. for you, only to discover that even after seven years of psychotherapy, I felt so anxious about being present. Mm. And I thought that, mm -hmm. I thought I was in touch with my feelings. Um, you know, I, think, I thought I was an emotional guy, you know, I'm not afraid to cry, you know, I go to the movies and this happens or I get angry and little did I realize that there was so much of my emotional experience mm. that had gotten um, suppressed, that I wasn't really aware of. There was a level of fear that I wasn't really aware of. Mm. Mm -hmm. And with the help of my therapist, and it was pretty scary, it took, I would say, almost a good year of slowly sort of being able to lean in and get in touch with myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I write about this and loving like you mean it. When I, my uh, therapist encouraged me to go inside, I felt like I had landed on the moon. I mean, you know those photographs of like the, you know, when the astronauts landed on the moon and you see like a little bit of, land and then it drops off and it's mm. all i mean that's how it felt mm. to me like it was foreign territory mm. had never been there before i'm not exaggerating really i mean the process of going inside was really new for me because mm. uh, i was so anxious and you can't it's hard to be and be dropped down and be be inside yourself mm -hmm. when you're so anxious mm -hmm. um and but slowly over time uh, that started to change and then bigger breakthroughs and more access to my true self, you know, and it, which lies within our emotions, mm. um, started to happen. Mm. So it, it's, it's, the, it's this mix of something very personal because then that changed me mm. and mm. made me even more passionate about uh, the work and and doing work and which some, is something that I've remained passionate about, which is really learning like how do we change, how do we transform, mm. Mm. and that's what the therapy is about. And so my interrupting you is about interrupting a process that's actually thwarting your flourishing mm. and your healing, mm. and coming back to something inside of you, and that we can open up to that, which is really where healing starts to happen. Does that make sense? You're, oh, gosh. You're nodding a lot, so. Total okay. sense. I mean, um, yeah, there, we're going to go three ways. I'll start with this just as a, a personal validation to any listener right now who might feel skeptical about um, this stopping and focusing on the feeling and mm -hmm. setting aside the mm -hmm. story mechanism. Um, you know, the month of January has been wonderful for me because I, I took time off for medical rest. And then I started traveling for work again. And I realized even with better health practices and even with access to more of myself, some amount of travel is actually still too much for me. Mm. And I had the awareness to realize, oh, I overbooked this month. So maybe I'll be more cautious about how I book the rest of the year. Um, but then I, you know, I get worried about trying to make rent in LA if I don't travel enough. It's an expensive city. Sure. And uh, two nights ago, I started feeling just this intense anxiety mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. the idea of traveling less. 
and uh, I was sitting at my desk in my office with Excel open, just trying to master the problem through numbers and feeling worse and worse and worse mm. as I did. Mm -hmm. And I stopped and I realized that I was not doing business at 9 p.m. I was defending mm. my mind from mm -hmm. a feeling I was afraid of mm. using Microsoft Excel. So I closed Excel and I didn't turn my computer off. I opened um, my music app and started playing some music um, that I enjoy, but that is something I play when I, I'm feeling blue. Uh -huh. And I sat at my desk mm. and I checked in with myself mm. and I just started to cry. Mm. I mean, just feel that right now mm -hmm. as you're talking, my eyes start to get a little teary, right? Mm -hmm. It's sensing what's inside yeah yeah and then i cried i probably cried for 10 minutes mm. and then i felt much better mm. and as we explore these ideas together i wonder if we could um catch up some folks on what a couple of these terms are so okay. they can keep up with our conversation the first would be when we say affect yeah. What do we mean when we say affect? I really appreciate you asking me, and I, d I don't want to talk in a way that makes things. I talk a lot to therapists, but I talk to people mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about emotion. So affect is another word for emotion, basically. I mean, there are some distinctions. Uh, I use the words emotions and feelings interchangeably. Some would argue that they're different. Emotion mm -hmm. is something that can happen without you... Um, Affect. We can have an emotion and not necessarily know that we're feeling it, mm -hmm. not be feeling it, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. you know there were sadness was somewhere inside mm -hmm. of you, right? But not knowing that you know it was there, it was trying to make itself known. Mm -hmm. um, but we're really talking about feelings. We're talking about you know we're wired to feel. That's the other thing. You know, we didn't think that for a long time. We thought we, meaning the field of psychology, that. Uh, we feel things because of the way that we think. And if you can change the way you think, then you change the way you feel. Mm. And that um, belief, uh, you know, um, predominated for a long time. But fortunately, uh, you know, not in more recent years, um, not for not too long, but really, um, we now understand that emotion is a wired-in process. We have responses to things that happen mm. in mm -hmm. the world and that happen to us, and are you know it, it uh, gets released. Mm. Um, and uh, often, this is part of why we have problems because we're not we're even realizing you know that we're being impacted and we're having feelings. Um, you get anxious, mm. right? Yeah, it's understandable. You get anxious. You're wondering how am I going to pay my bills? Anxiety is a um, you know, reasonable response, but there was more going on. Mm -hmm. right? And so then you focused inside, and uh, if this is what happens. If we lean into the anxiety instead of running away to it, it starts to move and it gives way to something much deeper. So like the anxiety in a way is telling us you're having feelings and feelings that make, might make you uncomfortable. So we're really, that's what we're talking about, mm -hmm. you know? And what we're talking about is trying to um, we'll be more mindful of what's happening and more aware of what's happening, mm -hmm. but really be better shepherds of our nervous system. Mm -hmm. it's, it's having reactions, yeah. um, whether we like it or not. So affect, emotion, feelings, what you would think about when we think about what you feel, you know, what you feel inside, what we feel and what we may not... Uh, be aware that we feel. In the story I just shared, to make a, a more clear connection for the listener, I wasn't just generically sad. Mm. What I experienced was that my anxiety, um, in that case, was masking a feeling, uh -huh. keeping me away from a feeling. Right. But then when I went to the feeling, mm -hmm. the feeling had real information for me. Mm. And so I realized why I was sad 
is um, I wondered if I traveled less, if people would remember me and still mm. care about my work. Mm. And the sadness was about um, not just some unnamed thing. It was a specific fear from childhood that was kind of coming back mm. in response to my life situations mm. in that moment. Which kind of leads me to another thing I'd love to... Wait, I'm going to I'm gonna interrupt you. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> well, that's so poignant to me. Yeah. And that's such a... I mean, it's, it's painful. I also get it. What's painful about it is, am I going to be remembered mm -hmm. if I'm not there, right? And we trace that back to a little boy who had to work at being seen, didn't mm -hmm. necessarily... Now, I'm surmising here. I'm not just divulging. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I want to make that clear. <laughs> I'm not divulging confidential information. Not at all. I'm thinking about it more in general. Why, you know, when people feel afraid mm -hmm. of, of the lack mm -hmm. of consistency, and if I don't show up, will I be remembered? Will mm -hmm. I be seen? That comes from a very early place. Because mm -hmm. when we arrive on the scene, it's what we need the most, you know, mm. to feel that connection, to feel the presence, to feel the presence of others, to feel secure in that. And if we had felt secure in that, we would doubt it less. Mm. So it's an amazing example that you share. There's so much in there that you're talking about. Oftentimes, you know, well, we trace these habitual ways we have of being. Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw myself into my work and get on an Excel sheet and do this stuff and get online and figure it out, you know, because these are strengths. Mm -hmm. But that's not really addressing what's going on inside, which, which is underneath sort of the panic or the anxiety is this fear. Will I be? What will happen? You know, what will I lose? Will I be abandoned? Mm -hmm. All of this stuff. And that traces far back, but then look what happens, right? So when you slow down and you're with that, then like when you are when you lean into it, the feelings come, so this is bottom up, but in the feelings comes all this information, like you say. Mm -hmm. And I talk about the wisdom of our feelings. Oh, so this is what was going on, you know? And you have the capacity to sit with that and sense and feel that it goes really far back. Mm. This comes from a young place. This is a young fear. Mm. And, and then if we stay with the process, you know, and we move through the feelings, it sounds like other perspectives come online as well. Oh, mm. mm. well, wait a minute, I do have you know, connections, they don't disappear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perhaps. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you've hinted at something again that an astute listener might infer. Um, this notion of bottom up and top down yeah. as being different ways of yeah. relating to our own internal processes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, would you be willing to kind of Say a little more about yeah, that. Clarify the difference yeah. between those two approaches. Yeah, so let's make it really simple. Like top down is using your brain and your thinking to sort of make sense of things, right? So we say top in a way because your head, you know, and then everything below it is sort of the bottom. But the nervous system and how we feel things, we feel it in our body, mm -hmm. right? So that's sort of a lower. So a top down approach would really be around. Let me think about this, and why is it that way, and trying to figure it out cognitively. And top also meaning the prefrontal cortex, so that's the front part of the brain. That's the part of the brain, the newer, so to speak, part of the brain mm -hmm. in terms of evolution. Mm -hmm. And the lower part of the brain, bottom perhaps, is the emotional part of the brain. And that has been around a lot longer. And that's sort of all these sort of primary and can be primitive why we're pri um, uh, wired in, things come where our feelings come from. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to not get too heady about it, but our feelings, this bottom-up experience, 
uh, can be pretty powerful and they can overwhelm our rational thinking. This is why for a long time we thought we need to, you know, feelings are, you know, cr crazy and batty and you've yeah. got to like, you know, work, use that, you know, head of yours as a human being and not let, not succumb to this, you know, irrational, irrational force. But it's very hard to do that. Mm. You know, we all know it. Mm -hmm. Like, just a simple example is, there's nothing to be afraid of. And yet you feel afraid anyway. And you might even know it. You know, I've done this before. There's no reason to be afraid. But your nervous system is telling you something otherwise. And people will tell you, and many people have told me, like, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Like, to try and reason myself out of this. So what we need to do is to really work with our system, which is to learn how to be with our feelings from the bottom up as they come up and regulate them and move through them. And as we move through them, then the, our brain, the top, can start to come online and make sense of things. And both parts of the brain then work together. So the bottom approach that I'm talking about is like we try and put our thinking aside and tune into what's happening in our bodies, which is what you did. Mm -hmm in the example that you shared, and make space by that. Try to open up, stay present, and allow. Because feelings are like our, our energy. It's an, they have energetic waves. And we're learning to surf, mm -hmm. right? We're learning to ride the waves and move through and get to the shore. And as we get to the shore, we can connect up with that front part of our brain that says, oh, now I see what was going on for me. Oh, and now I see what the answer is. Mm. You know, it's not a necessarily, you know, figuring out the schedule is, you know, is dealing with this fear that comes up for me. That can't be driving the show mm. because that can put me back under. That can you know, spoil my health, spoil all the things that I've done to have some balance in my life. Mm -hmm. Does that help to answer that? Oh, so okay. well. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. Um, I, well, the work I'm doing in these interviews is um, I've read and nearly memorized both of your books. Mm -hmm. So I have to try to go back in time and imagine what my questions would have been before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that was such a good and helpful answer. But it 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 does raise a question. You know, I have a very intimate relationship with an absolute guru of emotional presence. Uh, her name is Ruby, and she's my dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she is in her feelings. Whatever she feels, she expresses. Yes. And you, I, you can watch her body as she has a feeling. If it's fear, if it's joy, if it's whatever it is, you can watch her surf that wave expertly, which by the way, because she's so in her body, she is totally unselfconscious mm -hmm. about asking mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. affection mm -hmm. and connection in a way that people are often afraid. And I wonder if our brains evolved feelings first mm -hmm. and then got thinking, mm -hmm. how on earth is it that we as humans get conditioned or unlearn yeah. this process that seems so natural right. to many of our yeah. mammal right. companions. Right. Um, it's a really good question. I think I want to I want to qualify something and say and say you know we're not saying that. You know, the emotional part of your brain is more important than, you know, mm -hmm. the our cognitive capacities. Those are those things are really important too. It's really about integration and balance. How do we get the whole brain to work together? And uh, <laughs> my poor right. emotional brain would have had a hard time setting up the podcast equipment. Right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And my emotional brain already was feeling anxious about if I had to do it, yeah. and I, you know, watching you do it and marveling at how you could do both, <laughs> talk and set that up. Um, you know, uh, okay. So I'm trying to think about how to answer this question. Um, 
uh, we haven't, you know, we're, we're continuing to learn um, about the brain, right? And the science that of psychology and um, effective neuroscience, which has to do with emotion and the brain and how, how it works and how the, and, and neuro, um, uh, what am I talking about? Neuroplasticity, which has to do with how the brain changes and grows, which is everything is something we want to be able to harness because that's how we heal, mm -hmm. right? And that's how we learn uh, new ways of being that can be, that are, that are healthier for us. Um, it's all fairly a new science. You know, in some ways, we've been sort of like muddling along and just trying to figure it out. And uh, there were theories, you know, about this and theories that for a long time were saying, you know, uh, um, you have to learn how to control the unconscious and, you know, uh, and make sense of things and live a more sort of cerebral life and you'll mm. be okay. But we're realizing that that wasn't the, you know, that's not true. So it was maybe in the 80s where Dan, Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence, came out. And that started a real shift because what he was saying is, look, intelligence is important, but so is emotional intelligence. And he, you know, was bringing this information to the general public and saying, look, emotions are wired in experiences. We need to learn how to work with our bodies and work with our brains. Okay. So, and you're right, because it's like, so if this stuff is all innate, why the heck do we have such a problem with mm -hmm. it? Well, lots of discomfort around feelings and misunderstanding, social mores, you know, uh, the things that we grew up with in our families in particular, and then also in society. It's not okay for men to be sad. That, that means that you're weak. You can't show your vulnerability. It's not okay for you to be afraid. It's not okay for women to be, you know, angry. Um, and we know what that connotes, you know. Um, and, I'm, and I know that I'm painting with broad strokes, but these are all things that we have lived with. And listen to the messages that they give us about our feelings. You know, uh, um, this is what keeps people from being able to really be themselves and really be able to connect to stand up for themselves when they need to and to be able to show our vulnerability and our fear and because it's ultimately useful to us, mm. right? So fortunately, um, more people are learning about it and unfortunately, many of us grow up with, have grown up with parents who were emotionally mindful and emotionally intelligent and then that's what happens. You learn to be mindful of your feelings. You learn to resonate with feelings and others and you learn to use your mind and work with your emotional brain and make sense of things and stay in this place where you can navigate your feelings and also be able to think. Mm -hmm. Well, let's say that's about 50% of the general mm -hmm. public. And I'm using these numbers loosely, but it's close. But then there's like a whole other 50% of us who did not have that experience, myself included, did not grow. It's, I like to say it's no coincidence I'm writing a book on emotional mindfulness because that was not a part of my Experience and I had mm -hmm. to learn it mm -hmm. the hard way, mm -hmm. the way that everyone else is learning it, and it's still a process. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, why, this is partly to the answer, like, so why don't we do this naturally? Because of all those reasons, and why many of us struggle is because it's like we didn't get the manual. And I, I hear this from, it's, it's astounding to me in a way that when I, I just get back from doing a workshop um, at Kripalu and on Loving Like You Mean It and when I do my Living Like You Mean It workshops, it's astounding to me that I don't even feel like I'm offering um, profound things around change but helping people to connect with uh, their, themselves and understand how their defenses get in the way and it's eye-opening and transformative. Mm -hmm. And people are saying, I've walked around my whole life like not understanding, not getting, mm. not knowing, really. Mm. No one taught me this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've had to, as we become better um, uh, shepherds of our own emotional experience, then actually that changes ourselves and changes who we're with. And there's a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. uh -huh.
I so love that ripple effect. Mm -hmm. You know, that's um, that's how I came to know you in the first place. Mm. My friend Hillary McBride, who's a therapist who um, mm. took a seminar with you. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first met her, um, I almost couldn't believe she was for real, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because her sincerity and her presence and her feeling, it um, evoked in me some kind of cynicism or defensiveness. That I, I don't know I would have been aware of at the time, mm -hmm. but that it 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 presented itself to me as a skepticism mm -hmm. about her intentions and motivations. And the more I knew her, the more I was like, wow, no, she's just um shares what she feels, but in a way that doesn't we can share our feelings in a way that um is raw and unprocessed and burdens people. Or we can share our feelings in a way uh, that communicates social value and boundaries. And she had done the work to do the latter. Yeah. And um, as we were friends and I started having um, an experience it sounds like you were having in your 30s. Uh -huh. For me, I was in my 40s. And I just started having panic attacks all the time. Uh -huh. And basic tasks associated with life and living driving and parking would be a big one um but also i'd have panic attacks right before i went on stage after i came off of stage which i love going on stage so having that be a, a challenge for me was very disorienting and she said um because she's my friend right even though she's a therapist she doesn't do therapeutic work with me um, so she said, if I found someone for you to go see, would you go see them? Because I think this is important mm. for your quality of life. And I said, yes. And that's when mm -hmm. I met you. And, um, I was struck in our first session together, um, some similarities mm. in, uh, the way you and Hillary um interact with people like interpersonally or conversationally mm. the um well the presence that mm -hmm. comes with access mm -hmm. to our feelings mm -hmm. um and that i've watched that ripple mm. from hillary mm -hmm. and then uh working with you it, it started to change the way that mm -hmm. i interacted with mm -hmm. people and then i would have friends come to me and you said something in the very first uh, question I asked you. You did seven years of therapy, but you are still struggling. Mm -hmm. And I would have friends, and they would say, I've done in number of years of therapy, but I'm still struggling. Mm -hmm. And I would say, well, go see Ron Frederick. Mm -hmm. It's really going to help. And if you're not ready to go see Ron, I have great news for you. You can read all about his process because mm -hmm. he's published it. And so I would... Um, I have a stack of living like you mean it books in my house that mm. I give people that I think will help them. Mm. And um, and then what I've seen is as they change, and as I've changed, it changes a family system, and it just starts rippling out interpersonally. And I've gotten this great hope that some of the most pressing issues we face as culture and mm -hmm. society, mm -hmm. and I, I, I'm not going to go poly in here and say would be solved, but would be greatly aided by right. more people having right. more access to their feelings and being less afraid of their feelings. You described that in Can I a, interject something right there? Absolutely. That feels important for your um, listeners. More people having more access to their feelings and being able to put them to good use, mm -hmm. right? So we're not just talking about having our feelings and, you know, having our, and you said this about Hillary, right? You know, as you described her, that we um, just walk around emoting, right? You know, uh, that it's really about one, having access to them and then being able to manage them mm. and, 
So good effect, which is what you're talking about. Move through them, hear them, hear the messages that are inside. Not be reactive to them. Uh, have space to be able to uh, figure out the best way to respond, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's really the that's really the whole process. And yes, the more I talk about emotional mindfulness, that's what I call it. The more we can be emotionally mindful, that is attuned to and be and able to stay present with what's going on in ourselves mm. and make good use of it, that really is at the basis of flourishing, mm. having connection, communication, having better relationships. So we did our Loving Like You Mean It workshop for the first time this weekend. I'm not saying this to be boastful. I'm saying this because of what you're speaking to. And that is, uh, there were a few couples and couples and singles and people in relationship but by themselves in the group, everybody's welcome. And a lot of people saying the same thing. I've been to so many workshops. I've been in therapy for so long. We've seen all these different therapists. Um, and then having experiences by tuning in mm. to themselves and starting to, and also stepping back and seeing, beginning to see their defenses, see how they get triggered, see how they respond habitually. But finding the space to disentangle themselves a bit, mm. to have other experiences and share. This was happening on a three day weekend. That was profound. Mm -hmm. And saying, I've done all this work in therapy but I've never felt, or I haven't, this is spoken to me in some way, in a visceral way, mm -hmm. that is allowing for change to happen, because mm. that's helping me to feel different. Mm. And I don't say that to be boastful. I mean, I'm proud, I'm proud of, and, and, and so moved by um, you know, what's happening, and I'm happy that I can mm -hmm. share that. But we're really talking about principles. Mm -hmm. You know, and about what actually leads to transformation. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding. It's that mission that I went on when I went into graduate school. Mm -hmm. I want to understand what helps people, you know, mm. helps us heal. I want to heal, and I want to understand what helps people heal. And that's, you know, sort of what's led the day. So the amazing thing is, you know, that it's there. It's, it's so frustrating, too, because it's all there for the taking. Mm -hmm. You know, mm. and so you come here and you're saying you're having these experiences, but I would say to you, so do you feel like you're more your true self or do you feel like you became someone else? Did this, did this help free you up to be with what needs to happen inside of you? I don't know the words I would use. Mm -hmm. It's almost feels too sacred. Mm -hmm. well, I will tell you some things I've noticed. Mm -hmm. That when I see a picture of um, myself mm -hmm. as an eight-year-old child mm -hmm. wearing a red Hawaiian shirt and a bowl haircut, um, I feel such affection for that mm -hmm. child and such pride mm -hmm. for everything that he survived. Mm-hmm. When I look in the mirror today, I just really like what I see. Mm. And in my life and in my work, I've had a pattern of wanting to help people. And in our work together, I realized that I wanted to help people because I was afraid that otherwise they mm. would not value me or like me or continue to be around mm. me. And now I like and accept me. And if there are things I do in my life and work that invite people into their own mm. process, mm. I'm so grateful to have that opportunity. But what I've noticed, probably the biggest change, is the hours per week that I spend reaching out to friends and to family just to talk and connect with them 
and not to share something impressive that I've done and not to um, not to be afraid to reach out to them because reminding them I exist will give them excuse to not be with me. The unselfconscious way in which I'm able to be in relationship with my wife, with my children, with my friends, and even the people that I work with is that a new me, is that a deeper me? I don't know. All I know is that it's a me that I like. Mm. And that's, that feels new and that's special. So, that's so moving. And from my perspective, um, it's really, this work is about really freeing people, freeing us from our early programming <laughs> that was basically constricting us from really flourishing. So when you talk about calling people and connecting, I think, you know, that's what's innate. Mm. The desire to connect, mm. the desire to be close, it's innate in all of us, but we adapt in different ways. And we become afraid of reaching out mm -hmm. or depending on anyone or expecting that we'll be, you know, rejected or abandoned or ridiculed. And so then we don't reach out or we do other things. Mm. Um, and when we can find a way to move through those fears, we loosen the reins up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really about mm -hmm. our true self being able to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you feel compassion for that boy when you look at him in the picture. Because right, there's this beautiful spirit, and and he was struggling. He was mm -hmm. not getting the help that he needed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he is now. Right. And, but that's what comes. <laughs> like when we face what's scary in ourselves, yeah. and we feel different. Mm -hmm. We don't have to defend mm -hmm. and keep our walls up. And, and all of a sudden, you feel compassion. Mm ourselves that's the hardest mm. right I think it can be easier to feel compassion for someone else but when it comes to ourselves and to our child selves that can feel really challenging mm. but when we don't have to have defenses when we don't have to be afraid and we can start to move through that it naturally comes mm. Mm -hmm. for people who now feel curious mm -hmm. and feel like they want to learn more and connect f more while they wait on the book to arrive from the bookstore, because I'm sure they're going to order it. What are other ways um, to connect with your work? Um, I know you mentioned the workshops. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, are there other ways that people can engage with the work that you're doing in the world? Um, well, thanks for asking me that. <laughs> um, one place to go is to our website, and that's the, it's cfcliving.com. So that stands for centerforcourageousliving.com. Mm -hmm. It takes courage to really open up and be who we are mm -hmm. <laughs> and connect more deeply, and hence the name. And if people go to the Center for Courageous Living website, um, there are resources there and they can register for our newsletter and hear about where our workshops are happening. Um, they can connect up with my blog and um, uh, read things um, and hear podcasts and likely at some point people will be able to connect and hear the, or they're already hearing this interview <laughs> wherever they found it but other interviews and um and you know can reach out you know there you can reach out through the um website and ask a question or 
you're looking for help in your area or you're wanting to, you know, talk to me about uh, doing some work. Mm. All of that's possible. Mm. Mm -hmm. And links to that website as well as uh, Living Like You Mean It and Loving Like You Mean It. My books, right. Will be mm -hmm. in the show notes of this episode. So right in the podcast player that you're listening to, you can just tap on those links it'll take you straight there you could even do that while we're talking if you'd like to um ron it is so significant mm. and meaningful to me that uh, you agreed to spend time together and have this conversation today um i think you you know how impactful and transformative your work has been in my life and Oh, gosh, it just feels so special to me to be able to invite so many people in my audience mm. on, a, on their mm. own journeys mm. um, directly with kind of the person that, that helped me along in mine. Mm. That, that feels really, it feels nice. Um, so thank you. I feel it. I feel your gratitude, and you've always been, you know, um, open about that mm. and explicit. Um, mm. And I feel so honored, you know, to be able to do this and be here with you and um, to do this with you. And I know about the amazing, amazing work that you do and all these people that you touch, and I feel... So grateful, actually, for the opportunity to mm. be able to mm. share this with other people because mm. that's what we want. I mean, you said that in there. If this could sort of ripple out, mm -hmm. what would it do to our world? Mm. And that, to me, is the most meaningful thing. People ask me, well, you know, why did why did you write a book? Like, what did you? And there are different reasons to write a book. And I say, well, you know, the main reason is because. Someone will come up to me, or they'll send me an email, or they'll tell me at a workshop how it's helped them, mm -hmm. and how it's helped them have a better life. And that to me is, that to me what it's, is what it's about. That is so moving to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Isn't it wonderful that our world has people like Ron in it who are, you know, so educated and so experienced and yet so kind and so compassionate? Uh, during that interview, I was just, I was just left with, as I always am when I talk to Ron, just his his sincerity and his desire to see people heal. Our world needs more of that, I think. Um, and so I hope that conversation opened some new ideas to you, perhaps, or, or, or helped you understand maybe some things about yourself that you did not understand before. And I do hope that you'll visit the show notes of AskScienceMike.com this week um, and that you'll, you'll connect with Ron's work more deeply. Both of his books are wonderful. Um, but as he mentioned, uh, if, if you're not quite ready to grab one of the books, that's okay. He's got a lot of resources available on his website as well. And uh, gosh, what a great conversation. That was made possible by some very special people, the patrons of Ask Science Mike, who, you know, they send money every month, maybe a dollar, maybe five dollars. And uh, in doing so, make this show possible. They're the sustaining force that makes Ask Science Mike happen every week. If you'd like to join them or learn more, you can do that by visiting AskScienceMike.com. There's a little patron button on there. And uh, the show was also made possible by Caitlin Hermstad, who's our producer, and Greg Nordine, who does production and sound design and editing and basically <laughs> makes the whole podcast. Andrew Galecki does the pre-production. Uh, so the way that your shows make it to the patrons to get voted on is through Andrew's hard work that I'm so grateful for. Brent Cradle provides management services and keeps that whole team from uh, running into each other in the process of making this show and the other things 
that happened kind of in the science mic world of media. And of course, our theme song was written and recorded by my longtime dear friend, Jeb Botterford, who I am. Uh, one of my favorite things every week is having this moment to just think about Jeb for a second. He's a good friend. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And I can't wait to talk with you again next week. <laughs>